What's up, everybody? You're listening to another episode of the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. I'm your host, Dave Stovall, and today we've got another track session from Melanie Wise and Marshall Gallagher of Mercy Multiplied. They're continuing a conversation about helping people truly get free. In this episode, they unpack the concept of the why behind people's what. Like going deeper with someone just to help them discover their root issues, not just the surface level stuff. They also dive into the importance of understanding the source of people's pain, how Jesus responded to hurting people, and how to love people who are struggling well. They give key principles of how to listen and how to respond to those people in your life that are going through stuff. This is going to be a really helpful episode for pretty much anybody because everybody has somebody in their life that's going through something. So I hope that you enjoy this episode. This is Melanie and Marshall from Mercy Multiplied. So we are from Mercy Multiplied. I'm the Senior Director of Outreach at Mercy, and Marshall is our Church Strategy Advisor. Just nail it. Uh, totally forgot his title uh, in the last session, but it was 8 o'clock, so... Uh, but I, um, what we do at Mercy, and we are literally physically located next door to this church. So if you look across the parking lot and you see an office building and a big old home, that is that is our corporate headquarters. But we have a few locations around the country and the world. But we are at our core. In 1983, when when Mercy was founded, it was founded as a residential program for young women. And so for now almost 40 years, next year it will be the 40 year anniversary for us. Um, we will have had a residential program for young women between the ages of 13 and 32. They come into our program struggling with any number of life-controlling issues. Uh, but over the last couple of years, we have turned a couple of our locations, the one in St. Louis and then the one in Monroe, Louisiana, into outpatient centers. Um, and those are for men and women over the age of 13. And so it's the coolest thing ever that for 40 years we were always just a women's ministry, and now we are literally serving men in our program, and it is so fun to be hiring dudes <coughs> and to have men with testimonies from our program. It has been really, really fun to see that. Um, and so then what we oversee at Mercy is the um, outreach services, which is really what our desire is is to come along the church, alongside the church, alongside pastors, and to say, look, we've been working with hurting people for 40 years. What can we do to support you and your church and your leadership team, equip you, resource you, to share and pass on to you what we have learned in 40 years of working with struggling people? Um, and, you know, I guess the spoiler alert for this is that I know that the, uh, the title of this track is Discipling Hurting People. Everyone is hurting, as we literally just heard. I loved being at that last session, although I did only get the second half of it. I did not get to hear any of Alice's like entire thing, so I want to go back and watch it. But Marshall was in there. He was like, "Dude, this is literally everything we talk about." So I was like, hey. "I was like, what you don't want to happen is then be like t- saying something completely opposite of what you're saying." And you're like, sure I don't know. You never like this. Session. Pick a lane. I'm not sure what to say, but. Yeah, I'm thankful to hear that it was mostly all aligned, but I will say in the interview time there at the end, um, I loved so much of what I what I heard and them talking about how we're all hurting and we're all on a healing journey. No one has arrived. No one is like somehow magically there, completely whole and free. And so realizing that, yeah, there are going to be people that you identify, that you're working with and ministering to, that you're like, man, this person is really going through some stuff, like they are really struggling with some things, but no one that you're discipling, no one that you're working with isn't hurting. Does that make sense? That's probably not the most clear way to say that. Everyone you are working with is hurting at some level. And so hopefully this, what we're going to talk about, will really apply to everything um, that you guys do. And so actually, Marshall, I'll let you introduce yourself. I'm going to take some more. Awesome. Uh, Marshall Gallagher. I'm a pastor here in Nashville. And uh, aside from that, kind of being my main thing, for just a couple hours a week, just about, I'm uh, in like a consulting role with Mercy, trying to figure out like, how do we get this content to really speak the heartbeat of the church? And a lot of times uh, pastors uh, have a special language and it helps to connect pastor to pastor and say, hey, here's how we're different than all the other discipleship kind of material out there. And here's, uh, you know, here's how we at Mercy can really kind of click in to what the church is doing broadly. And then knowing some of those dynamics, it sometimes helps to 
connect with me. Something that may take 30 emails could be like one, you know, very quick, painful sharing of a story. I know exactly what you're talking about. So that's a lot of what I do. Um, yeah. Uh, he's like the one who, when we're trying to put together an e-blast that we're sending out to pastors, he's like, please don't say that. <laughs> like, they will hate you if you say that. I'm like, okay, got it, taking it out. You know, like, we're, we're, he knows we're the language. Yeah, you are an yeah, bunch, that's yeah. for sure. Uh, we love you all. Um, but I wanted to kind of go ahead and jump into where we're headed in this next session, which I know that your notes say session two. <laughs> it is session three. We decided to switch some things up. It's a long story. It's boring, so I won't go there. But... We are going to talk a little bit about principles for effectively ministering to hurting people. And again, I was like weirded out by some of the things that they were talking about in that last session going like, oh no, we're about to say like some of the exact same things in here, but hopefully it's great to hear it twice, right? Um, and really before we go into kind of some really, really, really practical principles, we want to touch on what we think is very important as far as just a, a potential paradigm shift for how you look at people who are struggling. Um, and we'll, we're going to kind of walk through this, uh, this analogy, but it's probably going to seem very elementary to some of you. And some of you may be like, yeah, of course, that's, of course that's the case. But I, I'm shocked, shocked at how many people that we interact with who hear what we're about to talk about. And they're like, whoa, that just changed everything about how I see the people in my life who are struggling. We are even working alongside an organization that creates resources for youth and parents, and they're, they're wanting Mercy to help create some resources on different issues. And when we've kind of brought this to them, they're like, what? This is like, this is not how we typically talk about issues and struggles. And we're like, what? <laughs> like, you don't? So we have come to find out that it's very important to set some foundation. Again, some of you, this is just going to be very elementary, but we've found it to be really, really important to, to kind of launch us into what we're going to discuss. And so what I want to ask you to do is not what we usually do, because you literally have a picture of a tree right in front of you. Okay, we're going to skip that part. We usually ask people to picture in their mind or draw a tree, okay? And typically... If you weren't already looking at this on your page, typically when someone thinks of a tree, they think of, you know, a trunk popping out of the ground with leaves and branches, right? And they never, I mean, we do this at our workshops where they haven't gotten a picture yet and we're like, just draw a picture of a tree. Y'all, no one draws a root system. No one's like, oh, do you know what I should draw? It's like the most important part of the tree that's underground. No one does that. You picture what you can see, right? But what's crazy about that is that the most powerful and effect, uh, impactful part of the tree is what you can't see. It's what's underground. The root system is what determines if a tree is healthy, if a tree is even alive. And so we're going to kind of unpack. We often will talk about our lives using this analogy of a tree. And so Marshall's going to break down each of the parts, and then we'll talk about what that means. Yeah, so, I mean, the big piece is just to know that when you see these things, like, we are very complex <coughs> beings. God made us that way. Um, and so, hopefully, you know, when we see things out here externally, um, we'll be able to walk through. I probably use this more on, like, a weekly basis in my ministry than any other yeah. metaphorical approach. Um, because it, it is simple, but, like, it's very profound at the same time. Uh, so... Uh, that first blank there um, in this tree analogy would be the branches are behaviors, right? So, you know, this is the way that somebody conducts themselves, the things that they do. Maybe it's an attitude that they carry. Uh, it's those external things that are visible. Um, you think branches, trees. Uh, most people think that, that, that that's the problem. Like even when you think about relationships, people, and probably the things that emotionally get us charged or upset are probably because of these branches. Um, but they're, uh, they're always kind of a bad solution to just a deeper problem. So, so someone who is, you know, uh, in substance abuse or addiction, um, that's not what the end they're seeking. They're, they're either choosing that, and we'll kind of get into some of that a little later, but that's, that's a solution that they're going after to something that's deeper. So those exterior things, the things we all see on the outside, those are the branches. Um, and this might be you know, anywhere from insecurity, anger, depression, people-pleasing. Like I know it's easy to be like, ah, 
substance abuse, that's a clear branch. But like, you know, in the discipling world, people pleasing, that's a big one. And that's what we can always see. Uh, but those are still the behaviors, the branches. Uh, get a little bit deeper, and it's the trunk is the belief system. That's that second blank. And so these are the kind of the patterns of thought that people have developed over their life. Um, and, and so it's what sustains, it upholds, uh, it, it kind of, I know Melanie mentioned last time uh, the thought process of like, uh, all men are, are bad or harmful. It's a, it's a belief system and then we'll get into these rhythms that will support those things and even people will look for it and confirm it. Um, but it's just some kind of active thought pattern that has continued on over and over and over again. Um, maybe I can't trust anybody. God hates me. Um, I never end up finishing what I started. I mean, it, it can just be those things that end up feeding a lot of those branches and behaviors. Um, so trunk is the belief system. And then even deeper than that, on another level, uh, the roots, uh, that's the main issue. So it's the basic cause, the origin, the source. Um, and, and these get, you know, the words are bigger. They're a little simpler um, like shame, grief, abandonment, fear, um, those, those deep, deep things that are really driving those belief systems that are producing largely what we see. So if, if you're kind of following the roots is where everything kind of begins. It's the origin that feed into those consistent patterns of thought that then produce self-harm or promiscuity or something like that. Um, and so we'll do a little group exercise. Uh, I'm going to read a story, and y'all just kind of follow along a little bit with me. Try to try to pick out uh, what might be the roots. What what was the origin? What was the source? What was the cause? Think through some of the kind of belief patterns, systems that were followed out through this uh, woman's life, and then and then think about those behaviors, the branches. So I'm just going to read a very short story, and then I'll ask like, okay, who heard some branches? Who heard a trunk? That kind of thing. So uh, just listen for just a second here. Uh, all right. Um, nine-year-old Sarah loves her mom and dad, but one day Sarah's father leaves home and doesn't come back. Her father said that he loved Sarah, but Sarah only sees him once every once in a while. She feels abandoned and believes that there's something wrong with her, that she's unlovable. She comes to the conclusion that loving others only leads to more hurt and abandonment, and that to love is not safe or trustworthy. As an adult, Sarah struggles with an inability to commit, being emotionally closed, and struggles with mistrust and anger. Um, all right, so what, did anybody hear some roots? Abandonment. Right, abandonment, absolutely. Grief. Grief? Grief. Yeah, grief, for sure. Um, and in the cause, did anybody pick up on like the, yeah, yeah, right? So, so, you know, a lot, sometimes we can trace it back to something big and, and sometimes it's a little bit more difficult, but, but absolutely. So what about, did anybody hear some of those belief system patterns that came up? I was kind of hearing that when you said that he would tell her all the time he loved her mm -hmm. and I'm thinking from her to nine she kept hearing it and he was there. But when he was saying it again at nine, I love you, but leave. Now it's like, whoa, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. That's so long. You love, you love, love is going to Right, right, right. And yeah. We've told this a million times and nobody's ever said that. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's a great one. Oh, that's a really good one. That's yeah, good. you can empathize and see those things that are, are kind of retold. And so we people have, who love me abandoned me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I love that love people. Right, mm -hmm. loving people only lead to hurt. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so you see, you know, a nine-year-old little girl. This, this, the, the kind of origin. This thing happens, and then these stories are either told to her or things along kind of confirm that. And then, so what were? Uh, and I know we're like moving further and further from the story, so it leaves everybody's head. But what were some? What would be some of those branches? What do you think might be some of those behaviors? Branches is not trusting others with uh, her feelings or it, it, 
commitment to a relationship. Right, yeah, never being able to commit, being very afraid to commit to people. What, what's one more? Preclusion, maybe? Yeah. And, and so you see... Somebody just said being angry, too. Yeah. Being angry. You, okay, so you see this, uh, I think it said she was 22, but you see this young woman, and she's emotionally closed off, she's angry, um, and you think... Gosh, you just got some issues. Well, all we're doing is seeing the branches, right? And we don't know that story. And that's, that's why this is so powerful, at least when I sit down with people in just a discipling context, you know, not a professional counseling setting. Um, and I think that's what is, that's the paradigm shift. Because people would look at Sarah as an adult. I love that you said she's 22. I literally it? don't think that's ever been said. But in your mind, she became 22. <laughs> Yeah, becomes an adult. Maybe that's... Uh, I, I, I see... <laughs> Maybe that's well, although, I would change that. Like, she turned 30 and became an adult. She did. The older you get, the I have a lot of 22-year-olds. Yeah, so... But I think a lot of people would look at 22-year-old Sarah or 30-year-old Sarah and say, man, she's got anger issues. Like, she really needs to work on that anger. You gotta figure that anger out. Here's some coping for the mechanisms anger. For Sure. Anger. Yeah. And in fact, she doesn't have anger issues. Anger is just the branch. It's just a bad solution to a deeper problem. She has abandonment issues. There's deeper stuff. And so why this becomes a paradigm shift is what I was talking about, the organization that's working with us, and they want to create resources about issues. So like we want to create a resource on self-harm, on addiction, on blah, on blah, like on one, and they were naming all of these branches. And I'm like, I get it. I know that when a parent has a kid who is self-harming, they are Googling self-harm. Like that's what they want, they want, but they don't actually know that that's not the problem. Self-harm is not the problem. There is always a much deeper thing. Self-harm is just the behavior. It's the branch that's coming out of that place. And so why this matters is that we, and I'm talking about other people, we do it too, y'all. We typically focus all of our attention on what we can see. And so we work our tails off trying to cut off all these unhealthy branches of behavior in our life or attitudes that are coming out of us that we don't like and we just try to willpower our way into stopping. And y'all, that is exhausting and that is not freedom. That's not freedom. If a tree is dying, this is your next blank, if a tree is dying, you tend to the roots, not the branches. I legit have a dying tree in our front yard that I kind of want to just keep there so that I can keep using it when we teach this because I'm like, this is weird to me. I don't know how many dying trees I've seen, but we have one. And I'm just thinking, like, it would be so absurd for me to go out there and be like, oh, no, our tree is dying. Let me just cut the branches off and see if something healthy grows back in its place. Right? That's absurd. Like, that's, I don't know anything about, like, trees or vegetation or planting, but I know that I'm going to have to deal with something at the root level for this tree to ever be healthy again, right? So it's absurd to think about with a tree, but we do this with our lives all the time. I use the example of... For those of you who've been in sessions with us before, you already know, I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old. And y'all, I think 40 years of repressed anger <laughs> is now starting to unearth itself in my life. All the parents in the room are like, amen. Um, but I'm like, my husband and I have talked about this. I'm so thankful that I know this, okay? Because I'm realizing that what I could do and what Melanie 10 or 15 years ago would have done is probably like, you're going to have to get a hold of yourself. Stop getting so angry. Stop. Quit it. Stop. Quit it. Willpower my way into somehow trying to stop getting mad at my kids instead of going, ooh, this is hitting something. There's a this is hitting something deep in me, and I need to go on a little journey with the Lord. And he has already shown me some things that I'm 40 years old, y'all. Yes, I'm 40 with a one-year-old. Pray for me. Um, I'm like, this is why you have kids at 25. Um, but... The Lord is showing me things at 40 years old that I did not even know were buried down in those roots. And it has, it has taken an 18-month-old to bring them out. And, and really, the Lord is putting his finger on some areas of my life that I've never looked at, I've never dealt with. And I'm like, when the Lord can, when I can start looking at that stuff, the branches start to take care of themselves. Will I still get angry? Probably so. But that is me willpowering my way into stopping a behavior or stopping an attitude is exhausting and it is not freedom and so that is why for us behavior modification is not the answer it is only an outward change not an inward transformation do you mind just uh, 
fleshing out the roots that we typically might come across in recycling some of the issues, is there sort of a pattern or is it really unique here being a broad category? Sure. I mean, I would I would say there's some common ones. Um, Shame, abandonment, fear. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I feel like we even did you did you share yeah, some of those a, that we have on here? Shame, grief, fear, loneliness, abandonment, rejection. Those would be probably some of the most common, but I'm sure there's just a, a wide range. Here's what I think is great. I'm actually so glad you asked that because if you were at our last session, you heard a, an entire kind of breakdown of how we equip people to hear from the Lord. Because here's the thing. You don't know, you don't even know all the roots in your own life, much less anyone else that you work with or disciple. You don't know what's there. Uh, like I said, it took me 40 years for the Lord to start putting his finger on some things that I didn't even know were in my own, in my own life, right? But he is, he is beautifully aware of all of those things. And so that is why it is vitally important that we are equipping people and discipling people on how to hear from the Lord and how to receive from the Lord and how to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit because he will bring things to mind. He will put his finger on things at the right time. You don't have to figure out everybody's tree that you're working with. You don't. And in fact, to do it will just wear you out and it probably will never help them because there are things that you will never know. That's why one of my favorite scriptures is that Jeremiah 33, like, call to me, I will answer you, I will show you things you could have never figured out on your own. And so that's why that's such a pivotal part of this process. I digress. Thank you for asking that though. That's just so important to know is that people will see this tree and they're like, oh, I figured that person out. They do this, they believed this, this happened, I bet this is their root. We don't need to go figure out everybody's tree. We just need to know that it's there. And part of that discipleship journey, that healing journey, is exploring what is under this, what's going on underneath this. And guys, I know this probably sounds too good to be true, but I've worked at Mercy now for 10 years, and I have seen this time and time and time and time again. When the Lord gets invited into these root-level things, and when we start going after that stuff, y'all, the unhealthy stuff has nothing to hold on to anymore. The tree just gets healthy, and the unhealthy junks, it starts falling off. And I know that sounds crazy, but it does. And I'm not saying that there are there may be times that you're working with someone where the unhealthy branches are so uh, unhealthy and so damaging that you may have to make a short-term commitment of like, hey, I know that every time X, Y, and Z happens, you want to turn to X, Y, and Z to feel better. For a while, let's not. Like, let's not. And you have to look at the behavior for a minute and just say, I know this is typically what you want to go to in these moments or whatever. Let's just not. Can we commit to not doing these things while we go after the deeper healing? And as the deeper healing happens, all of a sudden, I don't need to feel better about X, Y, and Z because I'm getting healed and whole. And I just don't, I can't unsee what I've seen now at Mercy, where it's like these young women come in with in, uh, innumerable issues. They've been in and out of treatment centers for their whole life. And, and they come here, and Jesus goes after this root stuff, and they are set free from things that for 20 years they've been struggling with. And so... Um, this this is it, it works when the tree becomes healthy healthy stuff grows and so with that being said that is truly like that's the paradigm shift that's why you know again when we're talking about parents and kids who are struggling um, as we're working with this organization we're like we need a paradigm shift first because all these parents are going to want to do is get their kid to stop self-harming or I don't know why I keep going back to that one today but we they want their kid to just stop like have you all seen the video have you all seen the um What's his name? Bob Hart video, like from back in the day, where he's like a counselor. So stop it, just stop it. Like he just tells the people he's counseling, well, stop. You know, it's like it's ridiculous and it's not helpful. But we do that sometimes in our work with people. We're like, will you please just not do that? Please stop doing that. Did you do it again? Please stop. You know, it's like that is just kind of where our efforts can be um, focused on, and that's not freedom. It's not freedom for them. So, in saying that, we're going to kind of talk a little bit more about, and this is where I'm like, so much of what was shared this morning is very relevant to this. Um, really talking about engaging in a very practical way with people who are hurting, broken, maybe coming to you um, with vulnerable stories or sharing vulnerable things with you, like really practical. I don't know how many of you are like, tell me what to do. I hate going to conferences when all we talk about is ideas, which is not what's happening here, but I'm like, give me something to do. So we're going there, okay? Before we do, let's talk one more time a little bit about 
Understanding the source of people's pain, because this is something that's so important for us to understand in our different roles. And that is that much of the pain that people live with comes as a direct result of painful or disappointing relationships where trust was broken. I have yet to meet a single soul who has ever said, like, my deepest life hurts and struggles have come from when I broke my favorite toy as a six-year-old. Like, it's never tied to an object. It's always a person. It's always someone that I should have been able to trust, that should have cared for me, that should have loved me well, and it didn't happen. And so here's the, the thing about that, is that where a lot of people's pain and brokenness came from relationship, their healing comes within the context of relationship as well. It's just experiencing in a different way. I remember when my husband and I were going to premarital counseling, and like we did the hardcore counseling because this is the world I live in. I'm like, no, 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 we're not going to like, let's figure out how you're gonna do a budget. Like we're going deep. Like we're gonna go, we're getting the ugly stuff. So we did. And I remember, so my husband had an abusive father, and the counselor that we worked with, she, she looked at me and she said, you know what's beautiful is that there's gonna be healing that happens in what was broken with him and his father because of the way that you love him. And it wasn't to say like his healing is now on you. Godspeed. You know, like it wasn't that. It was just to say the way that you speak life into him, the way that you encourage him, the way that you love him and engage with him is going to bring healing to a completely different relationship that was broken. Now, they are not reconciled. That's not to say that. But there is a healing of his heart of what was broken with dad that I am hoping and praying is coming in our relationship in the way that I love him. So that is a beautiful place that we all get to step into in the lives of other people. Simply the way that we love them can bring so much healing to what has been broken in relationships in their past. So yeah. that's really what this whole next Yeah, and I mean, even about. talking about the way we approach people, again, understanding that tree <laughs> metaphor and that there are roots underneath, and the next blank is, is so important. And I'm going to kind of give you three in a row here quickly. Um, so some people are hurting because bad things happen to them. That's that first one. Bad, some people are hurting because bad things happen to them. Some people are hurting because they make bad choices. And so here's kind of the kicker. The problem is, is that people often make bad choices because bad things happen to them. Uh, and so, again, like our tone and our approach and our heart coming to people where we can clearly see branches and it's easy for in our pride to say, I can't believe that they keep doing these things. Understanding that, uh, you know, people often make bad choices because of what's happening to them. So that's not to say it excuses the behavior, right? Those are kind of separate issues, but it, it helps explain it. And I think when we can move to people uh, with more of a kind of empathetic understanding of, of not uh, condoning behavior necessarily, but understanding for ourselves, all right, I see how someone could have arrived here, but then give, gifting them even the statement of, you know what, knowing your story, it makes sense why you've made these choices. Even though you don't have to agree to them, condone them, say, and I think this was a great path. But how we approach people, the way we approach people, being able to kind of dismantle the shame that certainly we all feel in some way, and people who are making a lot of bad choices likely feel as well, but to say, I understand how this could have happened. I understand why you may have reached out to that bad solution to the problem that you've been placed in because of your story, because of what's happened to you. And, and again, that being a whole paradigm shift of how we come to people uh, when offering to help. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Better Man is about unleashing a better masculinity and manhood, one rooted in God's timeless word, a free resource for churches, men's groups, fathers, brothers, and husbands. Better Man is a deep dive into what it means to be a real man. Too many men today are lost, walking around in a masculinity fog. Better Man is the clarity and conviction you need to be the man God has called you to be. Check us out at betterman.com. That part is so important because shame will shut people down in their journey so fast, so fast, because it's like my issues and the things I'm struggling with are who I am. And I think for them to understand like, hey, it makes sense that you're struggling with this. It really does. And actually, if I'd walked through that story, I'd probably be struggling with the same thing. 
that alone can just lift off some of that shame that they feel because it's like, no, 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 no. The fact that you're struggling with this because you went through this doesn't make you a, a, a horrible person. It actually makes you very normal because anybody who walked through that probably would be struggling with that. That can really do a lot to dismantle. But I think it's also good that excuse not, I use this a lot. I even use this a lot with my husband. I'm like, okay, babe, this isn't an excuse, but I'm going to explain. <laughs> you know, I still use this a lot. Um, and so I had somebody the other day sharing a story with me about this man that they know who went to prison for, um, basically it's related to child pornography. I'll get into the details. Okay. He went to prison for a few years and she said to me, but he was exposed to child to pornography as a child. And I was like, okay, sure. And that makes sense. I can see how we got here. It's, it's, it explains that helps explain why he did what he did. Definitely not an excuse, right? So it's to say, hey, I understand. It makes sense. Now we can move up and out of this. Okay, let's go on this healing journey. And so I think that's an important thing to communicate to people. And also to just think about how did Jesus respond to hurting people? He loved them as they were, but he refused to leave them. I just like doing that sometimes. Let's see if y'all can figure it out. Yes. He loved them as they were, but he refused to leave them as they were. I love how Jesus was just so unapologetically who he was, that he could be known as a friend of sinners, but his very presence with them like shifted things, right? That they felt completely and totally um, accepted by him and received by him, but also challenged by him, that, that he challenged their hearts, that there was a presence that he brought into that space and that we are now called into that same place. And this last piece, I don't know, this might be like the best thing that anybody in this room, room hears today, but it is... How you disciple and help someone is more important than the information that you give to them. They will remember the discipling experience more than the content. So for any of y'all in the room that are like I was years ago where I was like, I have to say the perfect thing. Like I have to know exactly what advice to give them. I have to know all of the right words of wisdom. When they stop talking, I have to change their life by the things that I say, right? Like, that are, those are the things that would run through my mind sometimes. And just to realize that, you know what, most of the things you say, they aren't going to remember. Like, they're not going to remember a lot of what you say. When you look back on some of those influential people in your life, do you remember many of the exact words they said? Maybe one or two things, maybe. But you, you know how they loved you and received you and encouraged you. You remember the experience of being in relationship with them way more than all the words that came out of their mouth. I, I just wanted to say really quick, it's something that I've learned for myself, that when I'm trying to think of a response or something to say that's impactful, I may miss something very important that that person mm -hmm. is going to say. Mm -hmm. So it's more important to listen. I'm so good. Right? Yeah, that's great. That's like, well, actually, you're, you're, <laughs> you're leading us right into our next page. But I do, I, there is a Maya Angelou quote that I'm sure some of you have heard, but she said, I've learned that people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. And so remembering that, that in, the, in how you love is the most impactful thing that you're going to do in the lives of the people that you serve and that you disciple. And so we're going to kind of unpack just some very, very practical keys for loving, hurting people well. Um, so this first one, again, thank you for the lead-in uh, to this one, is to listen carefully, actively, and prayerfully that you would pray for the Lord to give you his ears to hear the things maybe that aren't even coming out of their mouths, but that he wants you to see and wants you to know. I don't know how many of y'all are. I mean, it's kind of old school, but Jesus Calling, I still love it so much. Um, I read this one years ago, and I was like, this just has to go in our, in our teaching because this is too good. So I'm actually going to read it. This is from Jesus Calling by Sarah Young. Um, she said, learn, this is... Y'all know Jesus Calling, right? I don't need to explain. This is like God speaking. <laughs> Learn to listen to me even while you are listening to other people. As they open their souls to you, you are on holy ground. You need the help of my spirit to respond appropriately. If you respond to others' needs through your unaided thought processes, you offer them dry crumbs. 
When the Spirit empowers your listening and speaking, my streams of living water flow through you to other people. Be a channel of my love, joy, and peace by listening to me as you listen to others. So learning the art of having one ear on the Holy Spirit and one ear on the person that you're talking to is so, so important. Also, this is some of the things they alluded to in there. Just engaging them, looking them in the eye. Just looking someone in the eye when they're being vulnerable with you, it can be so powerful. For some of you, this may be really hard, myself included. When I start thinking, if you're telling me something and my mind starts going, I tend to look at the ceiling. That's just where my eyes go. Half the time I talk to people and they're like, looking at what other <laughs> What am I missing up there? I'm like, sorry, sorry, I'm with you, I'm with you. Like this is a this is something I have to be very conscious of, especially when people are being vulnerable with me. I need to like maintain eye contact, not get weird, not like stare a hold in them, but like just just be aware that like maintaining eye contact really communicates I'm not ashamed of what you're saying to me, I'm not scared of what you're saying to me. That's an important, important piece. Even, even knowing, as she was talking about her poker face that she has, um, and, and just knowing like body language and how comfortable you are as people are sharing with you is really, really important. And we're going to get into a few more of those here. So yeah, so right in line with that, the next blank is try to be unshockable. Mm-hmm. Unshockable. Uh, I had a seminary professor who uh, was a pastor for 40 years and then started the year when I entered in. And, and so he was just sharing all this wealth of knowledge and stuff and basically said, you can be surprised, you just can't act surprised mm-hmm. when someone shares something with you. And, and, and really, it, it's not you know, a, a trick or being deceptive, but what you're trying to do is you're trying to give them the safety that who they are or what has happened in their lives uh, really is not something that you need to turn away from or that is too much for someone to handle because if if someone's like hey this is what happened you're like oh my gosh all they're going to feel is that they're too much and that's the last thing that you would want to do when you are uh, getting to a vulnerable place with someone mm-hmm. yeah um, one of the things that I remember hearing a while back I don't know do we have any Kurt Thompson fans in the room two hands I don't know. like a Kurt Thompson fan anyone is like who a two handed <laughs> Kurt Thompson fan right right Oh, guys. Okay, you're welcome. All right, that's all I have to say. You need to all look up Kurt Thompson. Read all of his things. We had Kurt Thompson on our podcast um, last year-ish, and it was like I was fangirling like a crazy person. Like I was trying so hard to stay cool. But um, he he talks, he has some incredible books out, The Anatomy of a Soul, The Soul of Shame. Um, You probably even know the difference, but um, his, his work is fantastic. Um, but he talks about how when someone is being vulnerable with you, the thing they need most is your empathic presence. That's what they need. They don't need all your words of wisdom. And for you to fix everything, they need your empathic presence. I have to remind myself of this all the time because I am a fixer. I want to solve your problems. I want to tell you the five-step plan for you to get out of whatever situation you are in. It is very hard and takes a very conscious effort for me to be an empathic presence in those moments. Um, one of the next ones, I kind of laugh about this one because it's, it's just an interesting one, um, but do not align yourself with someone else's memories. Um, I learned this years ago. We had a trauma therapist come in and do some training with our counselors, and I got to sit in on it, and she shared that we actually, our, some of you may know this, but we as humans will often, our brains will often uh, create stories that match the emotions we're feeling, okay? And, and we don't always do it uh, consciously, and we don't always do it on purpose. So sometimes if, if someone is feeling these big feelings about this thing that happened, their mind can literally create a version of the story that seems to match how big their feelings are. Does that kind of, like, make an ounce of sense? I heard that, and it made me realize, like, okay, that is why. So I worked um, in a certain office over at Mercy. I'm not telling the story you think I was going to tell. I'll tell them. Oh. Uh, but there's an office I worked with. Uh, I worked with someone in that office. And we had, um, I worked actually under our founder and president, Nancy Aquinas, her executive assistant, for a couple of years. And there was a second assistant. We were those people. If y'all seen that, that's the Devil Wears Prada. There's like assistant one and assistant two. Of y'all got me on that. Um, but uh, anyway, so the other assistant would sometimes like Nancy's a very like she's a very passionate person, 
anybody who starts an organization that becomes what Mercy is is like driven and hard, you know. And so she'll like she'll go and go, and um, there's not always like a lot of like just soft, tender communication in that office, you know. And there were times that we would be on the phone with her, and the other assistant would be like, "Did you hear her yelling at me?" And I was like, "She's not yelling at all." And I'm like. Um, and I'm like, that's weird because I was right here. Like, you're not lying to me, but you heard yelling. She was not yelling. Um, and then I found out later as I got to know her, she had a mother who was very emotionally erratic and yelled all the time. She lived in a home with a woman who just yelled all the time. And I was like, wait a minute. Like, I just kind of started putting some things together and realizing you are experiencing this moment as a woman yelling at you. I'm standing here. And she's like, she's not yelling. And it was just one of those moments where I was like, huh, like, is, is she receiving this experience in a way that is heightened and would maybe communicate like she just yelled at me when in fact that wasn't actually what happened? Um, I also did this, okay? We taught this for many years. And I was like, that's so interesting that people do this, right? You kind of create these narratives in your head that's so interesting. And a few years back in 2017, we were launching that <clears throat> Keys to Freedom study that's outside of the door. And we decided to do what we always do, just literally kill ourselves. We were like, let's launch it and have a big launch event. We should also do the workshop the same week and like just do all the things all at once. So we're like, great idea. Hated my life. Um, but there was one day that week when we were doing tons of work, and my husband just texted me and was like, hey, how's your day going? And I was like, it's been the craziest day, like just back and forth. I was literally eating my lunch on the stairwell in between walking from meeting to meeting. You know, he was like, wow, that's crazy. You know, I was like, yeah. And then later, at home that night, I was like, did I tell you that I had lunch on the stairwell? He was like, yes. I said, I did not. <laughs> he was like, thanks for coming clean. You know, like, glad you got that off your chest. But I was like, that is, oh my goodness, I literally just did that. I was not consciously lying to him, but I was in such a like, everything's crazy. I like ate lunch on the stairwell. I guess somehow in my mind, I just am like, this is what's happening. I did the thing, okay? For someone who's just had a stressful day at work and can kind of like make up a narrative of things that have happened, how much more so for people who have gone through traumatic things, abuse stories, things like that. And y'all, you'll see this a lot for people who have experienced neglect because neglect is one of the most horrific things that a person can experience in their life, but it doesn't sound as bad. Like, your dad hit you, my dad was just never at home. And so I somehow need to, like, create a narrative of my life that matches the brokenness that I feel, okay? Like, these, these are very real things. Therefore, what it means for you is if you're on the other side of these conversations, if someone's like, do you believe me that that happened, or, or do you believe me, is that... Just to say, I believe that what you are feeling is so true. For you to say, I believe that every single thing that you've told me is exactly what happened actually makes you not trustworthy. They may actually know that it didn't happen. They may know it. And then they're like, I can't really trust this person anymore. Or they may not even be aware of it. But what's most important, we actually don't care about every detail of the story. We do not need to go chasing down every single word that was spoken or thing that was done. What we care about is the effects of the things that have happened, where they are now, how it has affected them emotionally, spiritually, mentally, those things. And so that is just an important thing to be aware of. Yeah. Uh, well, and so, you know, even in those moments, you, you could probably think like, all right, well, so how do I really build them up? How do I validate them? And those Next two blanks, validate their strength and courage to face their issues. Uh, and this is something that does not come natural to me. When someone shares something, probably over the last three or four years, I've just had to almost will myself to say, hey, thank you for sharing that. I still feel very awkward. When, but it was just someone who would do that in a group or in a setting with me. And I was like, okay, I need to be able to validate people having the strength and courage to, to bring things up and to talk about hard things. And, I mean, that's more about my mess than about, you know, most people. Uh, but that it, it's tremendously helpful, especially when you're not going to align and say, I believe every single thing. It, you're, you are building them up for what they're doing in that moment. Uh, and then, again, we can validate their emotions, Validate their emotions. And so we can clarify and reflect back to them really what they're going through. Uh, I know that it, it just it can mean so much to someone to say, hey, it, it seems like 
you are, you know, you've really been struggling with this. And just hearing that back from another person, knowing that you've been listened to and that they've really heard you and, and uh, how many settings I've been in and kind of like uh, premarital counseling or, or marriage where two people and one person's trying to get all the details right and the other person uh, just wants the other to understand what they're feeling. And it's typically like one spouse is like, well, I've been doing, and it's like, it's crazy for this other spouse to think all that this other one wants is just validation of emotion and to understand what they're feeling. It seems crazy, but it's so powerful. Uh, what it doesn't mean, though, is we have to mirror someone's emotions. And so, like a lot of times, uh, it, it, this is not my go-to. It's certainly my mom's go-to. She's very empathetic. If anyone gets emotional, she literally says, here come the waterworks, and she cannot not cry while someone says something difficult. The, the trouble, and those are in like, you know, silly situations. So, uh, uh, but the trouble is if someone's sharing something really, really painful in, in their life, in their experience, and I'm sitting there and they start to cry and, and I'll, I'll hit the weep with those who weep in just a second. But because uh, <laughs> I know it's coming, right? You got to balance like, this oh, wait, out. like, I'm supposed to cry. Right. Uh, and if we just match them and their emotion immediately, uh, what we have signals is that what they're going through is causing us to go through something. And, and it may very quickly shift to where now they feel the need to care for us. Uh -huh. And all they're trying to do is just share how hard something has been. And what they're looking for is really strength and resiliency. And I don't mean you can't get emotional for a second and kind of button it up. And, and, and because things are, that you hear will be hard and heartbreaking. But really who you are to be in that moment is someone who uh, is stable and is, is communicating even non-verbally that what you are sharing with me is not too much for me. Even if it may feel like that, and you need to kind of go to the Lord with it, it after, um, what they're looking for is someone stable so that you can share with them. I don't think that's a weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. That's kind of coming alongside people to uh, walk through mourning and grieving with them. Uh, when someone really needs you to, to be there for them and be stable and hold on to them, I think that's more of just not mirroring their emotion. And what's interesting is, is like crying with people who are really crying is always like a hard one for us to wrap around. But we would never do that if someone was really enraged and angry. Like that's very easy for us to understand. We don't just match their anger level and get angry with them. That doesn't seem right. But for some reason, the crying seems correct. Well, and I think what's really good, because I know there's some empaths in this room that are like, oh, God. <laughs> I, gotta, I have to cry. I have to be able to cry, right? So, um, considering the context of the relationship, y'all. I mean, just consider like if in some of my darkest days of my life, I needed my closest people to cry with me, and that was when weep with those who weep was like a beautiful thing. Like my family, the people who are at the closest inner circle of my life. Like I needed some people to cry with me. Okay. But that does not mean that every single person who crosses your path, every sing if someone that I didn't know very well entered into that story, it was like, <clears throat> I'm like, you don't even know me. This feels weird. I'm not even, like, we don't even that close, you know? So just considering the context of the relationship and whether or not that is appropriate, we're not saying, if you cry, you've ruined everything. We're just saying, consider the possibility that you don't have to, and that it's something that you might just want to be aware of in your work with other people. Another thing that you will not like me for saying is this next one. Um, and that is to avoid saying that you completely... <laughs> Look at y'all. We don't even have to talk about it. Let's move on. No, um... I'm terrible. I love so much that you just said that with, like, so much disgust on your face. I'm like, thank you. Because most people look at me and we're like, what? I say that all the time. First of all, who's said that in the room? Who has said it? Every, surely everybody in this room has said that, okay? I still have to cut myself off. Like, I will be like, I completely hate that that's happening to you, right? Like, I just can't stop it. So I think understanding that this statement 
can shut people down so fast, okay? I will often use an example because it's a very easy one to use. Um, as years ago, my husband and I had a miscarriage. A lot of women have had miscarriages, y'all. Okay, lots. We were very open with it. A lot of people knew we were pregnant. A lot of people knew we lost the baby. Every woman who had ever had a miscarriage then wanted to talk to me, which is fine, that's fine, but so many of them right out of the gate would say, I heard what happened. I completely understand what you're going through because I also. And I'm like, uh, well, thanks. I guess we're done now. <laughs> like, there was literally no interest in what my experience was, what my story was, how my experience was unique to me. It was just, I completely understand. Y'all, I will say that a lot of people say this just to kind of get out of uncomfortable conversations. Like, I don't really want to hear your story. I just want you to know I completely get it. Praying for you. You know, like, and run away. Like, they don't want to engage at that level. And so um, what I do think is important is that, first of all, it can come across as insensitive. It can come across as your story is not unique to you because I just completely get it. But also, it's so important to know that you absolutely do not completely understand at all. I have thought about how even like my sister and I, I have a little sister five years younger than me who is completely different from me. So different as most siblings are. Um, and she has, she came years ago, she was talking to me and she said she was doing some counseling and she was like, did you ever feel like in our house that we, we never had a voice? Like you never had a voice in our home? And I was like, sitting there going like, I never experienced that at all. Then I was thinking about it, and I was like, oh, wait a minute. I know how my sister is wired, and I know how my mom and dad are wired. 100% see how you experienced that. And I, and I was able to tell her, you know what? I, I did not experience that, but I know you well enough, and I know mom and dad well enough to know. I can totally see how that was your experience. We were in the same home with the same mom and dad and experienced them completely differently. You can walk through the exact same situation with another person and experience it completely differently. So not only is it not sensitive to say those words, it's also just not true. For all of you in the room who are going, but can I ever share my story? Yes, you absolutely at the right and appropriate time. I'm just saying that not right out of the gate go with like, I completely understand what you're going through. Be be curious. Ask questions. Find out more about their story. If someone... I'll, I wanted to know that other women had gone through miscarriage. Like, I, I, I needed to know that that wasn't alone. That was actually very important for me. I just wanted them to be a little bit curious about what my experience was and to know my story and to know what I was going through and then to be able to come alongside and say, hey, I've gone through something similar. And I remember the, experiencing this. I remember the Lord showing me this. They, they need to know when you've gone through something similar. It's just being very wise about when to bring that up and making sure that you are aware that their story is very unique to them. Can I just add something that um, sometimes when we tell people that we completely understand, that sometimes may lock them into thinking that they are going to resolve the same way that we did. Oh, and they may not want to be. <clears throat> they may not want to be what we are, right? Or yeah. how we handle that. And so, like, it's kind of like, oh, okay, well, now I'm in that club, and you're just further down the road, and I'm walked into being that. Right, that's good. Not did y'all hear what she said? That was really good. Yeah. So it's like. I have also gone through the same thing, and my life is horrible now. So welcome to the club. Yes. Yeah, like yeah. no, it's like that's not helpful. Or I've progressed, and yeah. now there's pressure. And, and right. what happens to me, especially even in that miscarriage thing, I'll if I am entering into people's help only when I really, really understand, that cuts off that entire conversation. So I'll I'll subconsciously start avoiding things that I don't understand. Mm -hmm. Where now I don't even approach people in care or love because I want, and, and it, it gives freedom actually where we can say, I'm so sorry that's, uh, that you're going through that. Mm -hmm. And then, then maybe that's all we need to do in that moment. But uh, and, and even more in like not knowing what to do, the, the, the next blank is to pray first. Uh, this is, I mean, you know, we all, we all agree like, yes, that we need to access the Lord for that. That's a great uh, step in the process. It's, it, it ought to be hopefully the first thing, um, even quite literally, uh, a lot of times when simply like you may not know what to do when I do not know what to do, just taking a minute and saying, hey, you know what? Thank you for sharing that. Can we, can we just pray right now in the middle uh, and, and just say, hey, let, let's just Let's just bring this to the Lord, even like, you know, to ask him to enter into this situation 
uh, fresh, even if it's in the middle of a coffee kind of conversation, just taking that time to pray mm -hmm. first. Yeah. Would you address that the same way for a believer as a non-believer? I would because I'm uh, like a, I don't know, my That's DNA is like a church planter, so I'm, you know, one... I, I think it's rare that people, if, if you're in a setting where someone's coming to you for help, I think prayer is probably the easiest entry point to any non-believer, non-Christian. That, that would be my personal take. It's not kind of like mercy's total approach, but uh, I think, and, and maybe that's even a great kind of, hey, look, this is something I do when I feel completely overwhelmed. Uh, so it really is. I think sharing your heart with the people, even if, you know, they they may close their eyes with you and not and think, okay, this is getting weird. And yeah, exactly. Sure yeah. Professional. Right. Like, right. I don't know what to do right now. Right. This is I'm going to ask for. I'm actually kind of laughing because this blank used to say never hesitate to pray first, and then I was like, what? <laughs> pray first. Like that's not even like a. It's an option. Like no, that should definitely be. I would. I would absolutely say like asking. You know, like, would you feel comfortable with this? But, but for us, more of the prayer piece, and this is why, um, you know, we usually do this within the context of a large workshop. Um, for those of you who are with us this morning, you heard us talking about this, this, the importance of teaching people how to hear from the Lord. And that's where this can be so powerful, is to say, hey, like, you've shared some things with me. I'm not the source. Like, I don't have all the answers. I don't have all the words of wisdom. I know the one who does. Like, let's go to him and actually ask him some questions together. Guys, I'm going to give you a hot tip. If you do not know about Freedom Prayer, you need to immediately go to freedomprayer.org. <laughs> immediately, because it is, um, it is incredible. It's, a, it's equipping people, it's equipping believers on how to sit in prayer with people, to process through hard things, to process through so many of the keys, like even from our study. It is an incredible ministry. Um, and you can be trained just on how to navigate prayer times with people where you just sit before the Lord together. This is not like a, I mean, it can be just a like, Lord, please be part of this conversation in Jesus' name, amen. But it's, it's often like a, like, let's get quiet before the Lord and listen to what he has to say and what he wants to speak into this situation. And kind of learning that even as a skill on how to do that with other people can be really, really powerful. Um, all right, let's do these last two, and then we'll let you out. We can do these real quick. Oh, yeah. This next one is explore the options for next steps. As people are sharing with you, the greatest, the greatest thing that you can ask them is, like, what can I do to help? Like, to not say, okay, thank you for sharing that with me. Clearly, you came to me because you want me to give you your 10-step uh, plan for the rest of your life. I've got it prepared. <laughs> next week, we'll do this. No, no. Just ask, what can I do? How can I help? Like just let them, let them lead that and guide that. Um, and, and it's important that they be part of that and that they, that they actually own the next steps, that they own the process, that you are not driving it. If you came to our first session, you know why that's so important. You cannot be the one driving it. They have to own and be responsible for their journey as well. Right. Final one is uh, remember the ultimate goal is not to cut off the branches. Uh, I know we've covered it. Um, and just one, there's a, a handful of questions right there that are really helpful. Uh, but, you know, follow up with people and ask them how this is going. Uh, especially if they've invited you into that conversation. Uh, we talk about permission. They have kind of walked into permission. permission. And you can even say, like, hey, can we, can we get together every once in a while? I'm going to ask you a couple good questions. And there's some there to, to hopefully help you. Before you guys go, I do want you all to know that I keep talking about this workshop. All the content that we're sharing at this conference, we share at our Empower Workshop that we do a couple of times a year here in Nashville. We're going to be doing our next one in November in Franklin. Then we've got one coming up in March at this very church, actually. So if you, you know, want to be able to experience the whole thing or if you want to send people from your team, we would love it. We gave you a code. You can get it for real cheap for the next, like, I don't know, 24 hours, maybe 12 hours. I don't know. But it's at the bottom of your page if that's something. We have lots of fun. So we'd love to have you there. But that's all. You guys have a great lunch. Well, I hope that you enjoyed that episode. I know that I did. I'm really getting a lot out of these Mercy Multiplied episodes. This kind of stuff is really just 
the stuff that I really enjoy most to listen to, kind of like counseling and therapy 101, just for people that don't have masters and PhDs and therapy and counseling. Because, you know, all of us encounter people like this, and usually we are people like this at one point in our lives. And so we can turn this around and help someone else and share the hope of Jesus in sometimes one of the worst times in these people's lives. So I hope that you've been enjoying it. We've got one more episode from Mercy Multiplied coming up next. If you haven't already clicked subscribe to this channel, I would really appreciate it if you would do so. All right, y'all, have a great day, and I'll catch you on the flip side. Better Man is about unleashing a better masculinity and manhood, one rooted in God's timeless word, a free resource for churches, men's groups, fathers, brothers, and husbands. Better Man is a deep dive into what it means to be a real man. Too many men today are lost, walking around in a masculinity fog. Better Man is the clarity and conviction you need to be the man God has called you to be. Check us out at BetterMan.com.